this is As Told by Sherelle, and this is your podcast for self-discovery and inspiration through storytelling. Each week, you will hear a new guest and hopefully walk away with something that helps enlighten your journey. I hope you enjoy. Thank you for joining me, and remember, stop chasing tiaras and be the crown. When you meet a young man like Marcel Subert, whose wisdom and altruistic nature lead to an unexpected connection, what else is there to do but share his story? Marcel. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit more about yourself, um, what you do, and um, your story? My story. So um, I am currently 19 years old. Mm-hmm. I am just uh, finished my first year of college at the uh, College of William & Mary. Um, I'll be transferring to the University of Virginia in the fall. And I guess as my story is, well, I grew up in Northern Virginia um, in Burke in Fairfax County. Mm-hmm. And I went to I went to elementary school here, high school here, um, and my my parents um, they immigrated from Hungary in 1995. They I was actually the first child in my family to be born in the United States, right. and yeah, um, I was born in '99, four years after they had arrived here, and I was really the only one in my family who has been brought up here and has really just experienced the almost stereotypical Northern Virginia suburban life. And they told me their story of at least getting to the United States. It was very difficult when you know, they had to wait for years for at least first for the uh, communist government in Hungary to fall. And then they had to find a sponsor here in the United States to give them green cards and everything. I think that's really stuck with me is that, you know, I have this background and I, should, I really shouldn't take anything for granted. And just how, I mean, it was a lot easier for me growing up and I, and I know they never take anything like that for granted, especially with the work I do um, mm-hmm. for volunteering, which I mean, I'll probably get to later as well. Yep, absolutely. That was actually going to lead me into my next question. Excellent. So how do you feel like your um, experiences growing up and the things that you've been lucky enough to have, how do you think that shapes you in terms of the work that you do for the community? And you can actually, before you even answer that question, Tell me about what you actually do in the community in D.C. Absolutely. So I am a volunteer, well, actually now technically an intern, for an organization called Food for All D.C. Uh, They deliver food to people in the District of Columbia who are homebound through either physical or mental disabilities. Um, They're, for some reason, they're unable to be able to leave their homes. and They need a special kind of assistance to be able to be able to live on their own. And Mm -hmm. so every Saturday... Um, we package food and deliver it out to clients in all four quadrants of the city. It's a very, it's a very small program, very, I guess, grassroots, as you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is something that I very much appreciate about it. Yeah. And so going back to your experiences growing up and knowing yes. that you were very fortunate in contrast to the other family members in your household, how do you think that has shaped you to want to do this type of work? It has brought, at least to my attention, what it is like for people who have grown up with less 
opportunities and less privilege than I have. And I think that's another thing is that every day, I don't think anyone, no matter how much privilege they have, will ever realize fully in their lifetimes how much they have. Because every day you have a new experiences that teaches you how in one way or another, there's somewhat someone who in some way is less fortunate than you are. Um, that's something that at least I've learned through growing up, um, listening to the experiences of my, 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 my sister, my parents, and also through my work in the community. Right. So in the community, I'm sure you've interacted with lots of different people. Yes. Can you reflect back on a conversation you've had or someone that you've helped that really just changed the way you approached life? Definitely. There was, um, I was volunteering, I was doing the regular deliveries for food for all about two or three years ago. And I went into one house where there was an older lady, I think about in her 60s, and she was not only homebound, but completely bedridden. Um, you know, we walk in, the door's, wide, the door's unlocked, it's open, and she yells from her bedroom, oh, come in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we walk in and then, you know, we kind of talk with her, and she kind of recounts what it's like, not even essentially just not even being able to leave her bedroom most of the time. Right. And I think that is kind of just the quintessential experience within that, I guess, subset of poverty that I see through this program um, of someone who is not, not only not able to leave their home, but unable to leave their bed. And that's just really, I mean, it's jarring when you see that for the first time. Right. So what do you admire about the individuals you work with? Um, or the individuals you work for um, in, in this uh, community service work that you do? So I guess there are kind of two, two angles to that. Um, mm-hmm. So for the people who I, I help, right. I admire that a lot of them are, they're individuals who, and I guess it's kind of segueing into a different thing about how there are kind of misconceptions of people who live in poverty about how they don't really try to help themselves. And I think that's just not true. Right. And there are many people who are very active, engaged individuals, very competent and, and very hardworking, but sometimes through disability, unable to achieve their full potential. Right. And I guess as far as with the people I work with, they are also very dedicated individuals who see the same types of issues that I do and devote their free time and resources to be able to help those individuals. So as you've gone through this community work, um, do you feel like there's certain things that mattered to you when you first graduated from high school that have taken a back seat to other priorities um, in life? Actually, like in the realm of community service or in like a personal thing, or I guess the both? Um, how, yeah, however you um, want to interpret that question. Of course. I think that, I think I kind of alluded to this before, but I think the more that I see in these, more that I see in these communities, the more I realize how much more work there is to be done. So I don't think it's necessarily like comparatively to back when I graduated high school, I think I care about more things or I care about different things. Yeah. Um, because I think whenever you work in underprivileged communities, you try to, you try as hard as you can to connect the dots, to try to find underlying issues that unite all of these problems together that you see. Right. And, and I think that though that underlying theme is something that's constantly evolving. Yeah. Um, like 
you know, for a while. And I think at least today I see um, that literacy is a big issue. Right. That if someone, and I think I read somewhere that a very, a pretty unfortunate percentage of residents of the District of Columbia are functionally illiterate. Right. And when you're trying to navigate, say, you know, just job applications, or even if you're called to court for housing issues, it's almost, for some people, it's very difficult or almost impossible to be able to navigate those pathways. Right. Um, so but, what, oh, go ahead. No, sorry, I think that was it. Okay, so then with literacy, maybe even folding into education being something that could make a big shift, right? Yes. And economics for lots of different individuals in D.C. Um, I mean, you've named it, but like, do you think that is the big ticket item or are there some other things that need to be addressed um, to kind of make a major shift, to make a major impact? I mean, I think that, like, I don't, like, a lot of people try to think about big issues. And I think that there are a lot of big issues combined that create these these social ills. Right. Um, like, for example, and this is kind of, like, at least the one, one of the larger differences that I see in low-income communities compared to at least where I live is that there's always this ever-present cloud of higher crime rates. Mm -hmm. And you know, at least a part of my personal belief is that a lot of these underprivileged communities have kind of been left behind by established law enforcement. Mm -hmm. um, and to some, it's been kind of seen as a lost cause. And, and I mean, these communities are not only low-income, but communities that contain people who are primarily people of color. Mm -hmm. A system has failed them. So these alternate systems of justice, sometimes even gangs, emerge in their place. And you can see even when you go to like a neighborhood in DC, say east of the river, you like you have like armed guards at Safeways. And that's not something you would see really at least in other places. Or if you go to a library um, in under some of underprivileged communities. You have to, to get into the bathroom, you have to go to the circulation desk, leave your ID as collateral, and then take the key to enter the bathroom. Right. And I think that there are these larger systematic problems, I mean, I mean these problems that are manifold that need to be addressed in order yes. to be able to even make a dent in solving this problem. Right. So I went to a conference yesterday and the focus was on education um, and specifically how black males were being underserved in the community in terms of education. But I think if you take out black males and you put in the homeless community or individuals who are living in these underprivileged communities, I think the same can be said for um, like the issue. The issue is still the same in that they have a lack of resources and I think a lot of these communities lack access and opportunity to resources. And that ends up folding into a series of other terrible, as you recently explained, issues like crime, violence. Like they kind of are birthed out of a lack of resources because if you don't know what the opportunities are, if you are undereducated, and you feel like you're living in a, a system that kind of treats you like a criminal, um, 
over time, I think that kind of creates more of the unwanted, right? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And so I, I hear you 100% on that. Like, the system is kind of set up for individuals to not succeed. And the one, the individuals who do find a way out a lot of times because they've been spotlighted as an individual who, you know, is exceeding academically or there's just something about them that stands out and they are able to access things that other individuals in the neighborhood are not able to. And I think the unfortunate truth is that if individuals stop looking at their communities as places they needed to leave, but instead places they needed to invest in, things could change as well, right? So when we're talking about low-income communities, sometimes we speak about them as if they are hubs that we just need to you know, evacuate as soon as we find money or as soon as we find an opportunity. But if we flip that idea and say, yes, we can access things outside of the community, but let's bring it back into the community. Let's change that. And that's why I love what you're doing um, in your organization. It's like you are providing help, but you are also providing opportunity um, outside of food, correct? Yes. And so can you tell me more about that? Yes, I guess we try to, as much as we possibly can, engage people um, in their community, at least by you know, talking with them, sharing opportunities that are available to them. Um, that's also a big thing that we do through our social media campaign is share resources that the city, like at least the District of Columbia has or federal programs or anything that people can use to their advantage. Mm-hmm. Like I think um, OSSI, you know, the Office of the State Superintendent of Education has this program for, I believe, summer meals or summer, it was something like this, the summer opportunity for young people. Right. And that's what we try to put out there in the community. But unfortunately, one way in which we've been lacking is that not everyone has access to these outlets, these social media outlets. Um, yeah. Now, as, my, as I've gone on working with the program, I've tried to broaden these opportunities, um, like maybe doing postings in like public places like libraries or something, mm-hmm. um, and also trying to create more kinds of social media that we reach people through. Um, but so far it's been contained in that sphere. Yeah. So, I mean, this is really hard work. And I think the tough part about working in low income communities with people who have some really serious issues is that you, you end up taking a lot of their problems home with you, whether you want to or not it's really hard to detach because we're human right of course so when you make these uh these connections with people and sometimes you know it it burdens you to carry their story how do you find a way to you know find joy how do you find a way to keep your spirits high so that you aren't walking away heavily burdened and not able to do the work that you've been called to do? I think, well, I think first of all, that's very easy to get burdened when you see wider systematic issues that are just incredibly difficult to correct. But whenever, a lot of the times when you volunteer, it's like some kind of cheesy, but when you help someone and you see that, that joy on their face, that how big of a difference something as simple as a food delivery or community connection can make to someone 
it gives you a little morsel of hope. Right. Um, and it kind of gives you that energy to, to just keep going at it, to keep doing what you're doing in the community and also at the same time trying to advocate for a larger scale change. I love um, it. That's good. I mean, like, yeah, use their stories to keep you moving forward, using their joy to kind of feed yourself some. I, I 100% understand that. So um, we're closing out this conversation. I just want to know, is there any way that other individuals who are interested in doing this type of work, how can they either reach out to you or can they connect with organizations so that they can join in and volunteer if they're interested? Of course. Um, so for Food for All DC, we every Saturday at 9 a.m., we do our packing and deliveries at it's a universalist church. I mean, we're not affiliated with the church, but we use their space. It's at the corner of 16th and S Streets Northwest mm-hmm. every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Um, we're also on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Venmo, everything that you can possibly imagine. We're on social media. Um, we also just made our Facebook page able to receive donations. So we're trying to make that a thing as well. But also another thing that I might add to being at Food for All is that there are a lot of other community organizations that go to Food for All to do service as well. Like I think I was um, at Food for All yesterday and there's this organization, this organization, this community service-based organization called Be Great DC that showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, not, o- not only are you doing good things when you're at Food for All, but you're able to connect with other organizations that do very, very similar things or maybe even different things. Um, so you as a volunteer are able to connect with other organizations and maybe move on to their program or kind of branch out a little bit more. And I think it's just a wonderful meeting place for those kinds of people. I love it. I love it. I'm all about making the world or community smaller through connection. So yes, absolutely. Very important. Uh, well, thank you so much, Marcel, for talking to me. Um, I love what you're doing and I love that you're doing it at such a young age. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and, um, I look forward to keeping in touch with you, okay? Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to As Told by Sherelle. For more weekly stories, please subscribe to my podcast.